This is the Thursday Night Podcast, your source for news, analysis, and all things Georgia State sports. Because every day is Thursday. Hello, welcome to episode 56 of the Thursday Night Podcast. My name is Jordan, and today I'm joined by David and Brady. Today we're going to talk about some football discussion. Panthers defeated East Carolina Pirates 49-29 to last Saturday. Talk a little bit about that win, and then a little bit later on, we have some basketball news as well as a couple of listener questions. But first, gentlemen, uh, Panthers 49, Pirates 29, a commanding win by scoreline. But as David, you alluded in the upon further review piece on the website, there's a lot more to this game than that. No, there definitely was. Um, just kind of watching it and seeing, you know, some of the reaction from people. I think that they thought that Eastern Carolina was going to make it close, um, especially at the end there, because the Georgia State offense didn't really. Um, they weren't scoring at will like they were in the first half. Um, but this I mean, this was a phenomenal game for Georgia State all around. I think this was. Quad, this was easily his best game. Um, I know there's only been two games that he started, so you know the sample size isn't there. But there was throws that he made on Saturday that, I mean, if the kids are making those throws consistently, then you better watch out for Georgia State. You know, Dustin Coates was good. The defense was good. Um, you know, kind of as I alluded to, the only thing that you really could get on the Panthers for was kind of some special teams play, which we can, you know, talk about a little bit later, but truthfully a very well-rounded game by Georgia state. Yeah. I, I would go the other way and say that the final score rounded around to sort of represent what the final score should have been. I think if it had ended 42, 29, it would have been a little bit misleading because it never really felt that close. I mean, Georgia State outgained ECU 485 to 292. ECU had 3.7 yards per play, which is the second lowest allowed by Georgia State's defense in the program's history. And so the little garbage time touchdown, uh, which from the post game sounded like it was a little personal from what some of what ECU's defensive coordinator had called um, Georgia State's offense more normal than UCF and that, you know, kind of downplayed them and you could tell the coach Elliott, whether it's just the usual like coaches use whatever they can get for motivation or whether it was a thing where it was like, come on, like we've been a good offense under me and under Brad Glenn, whichever those it was, you could tell it was something that I think might've been the determining factor in deciding to not knee at the end, but score a touchdown. Yeah, I don't even know what reality those comments were based on. I mean, this is an offense that, you know, pretty consistently for the last couple of years, like most of last year, if not all of it. And then, you know, through two games this year, you know, this is a 30 point offense, 30 points per game offense. Like that's, if that's a normal offense, then sign me up because, you know, a lot of times when we're sitting here talking, before Dan was hurt and so far through two games this year, we're not really talking about Georgia state's offense. Like it's not an offense that's going to put up points. So not really think, sure what so the I, point of that Contextualizing was. the comments a little bit, but it doesn't make the answer really any better is I think he was talking about tempo and that there was stuff with like UCF runs at like a hyper tempo. And it was like, you know, with UCF, don't worry about disguising, just go and with Georgia state, they're more normal, but also like, 
watching Saturday's game, Georgia State ran tempo really effectively, and it looked like it caught ECU off guard. So if they were telling them not to worry about the tempo, that seems like a real mistake. And, and that's how it played out. I mean, so it starts off with one of the more inauspicious starts to a Georgia State game. Quad <laughs> throws a pick six on the first play, just blitz came he got a little rattled and he just missed the, the safety that was hanging over the top and made a good read and at that point it was like okay what kind of game is this going to be and then georgia state just marches down the field on offense response within capital r uh, i think it was five plays just under a minute and a half and then they kept scoring and then they kept scoring and the thing is is just as the game as a whole, it really didn't feel that different than Louisiana game. And um, I'll spell that out. So the first half was advantage Georgia state and the offense was doing a lot. Well, it was a better half for the offense in the first half than the second half, which was also true against Louisiana. The difference is that the offense took every opportunity in this game. And, you know, whether that's quad hit a couple more throws that he didn't in the other game or just, they kept it together enough and really dominated the first half on offense. It could have been a situation if a couple of plays go the right way against Louisiana, the Georgia state has a lead comparable to what they went into the locker room against ECU. Just, they didn't play as well in that half. Um, And then in the second half, it was a little bit more of the doldrums for the offense, but the difference again was instead of being left out on the field, for 10 minutes in the third quarter, 10 and a half minutes, really, uh, in the third quarter against ECU, whereas the defense kind of broke down a little bit just because they'd been on the field so much against Louisiana and Louisiana started doing some things right. The, the defense stood tall here. ECU had the ball for 10 and a half minutes in the third quarter and scored three points. And it it never really felt like a game where even though every weird touchdown that could possibly happen, happen for ECU. You know, the pick six on the first play, the fake field goal that totally caught Georgia State off guard for a touchdown, the blocked punt return for a touchdown. Even at that point when it's like, oh, it's a 13-point game right now, ECU still hadn't and never ever did on offense score a touchdown. So it never felt like a thing where Georgia State was like really in danger, even though the score got a lot closer. And then... Georgia State got on that drive and iced it at the end and scored the touchdown to make it a 20-point final. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I agree with kind of the point that you're making. Um, I guess for me personally, when I rewatched the second half, I didn't even think that the offense really stalled. I just thought that, you know, they had, so they had the two turnovers, the Coates fumble and then the, uh, quad interception, um, which was just a nice play on the ball by the quarterback. It was a little bit underthrown, but yeah, if it's a better throw, I think it's probably around the letters in the end zone and McCoy's got a play on it rather than the cornerback having a play on it. But right. I, I guess I would just say like there was sloppiness, but the offense still put up 42 points on the day. Seven right. of the points coming from an ant lane pick six. So the, the other points were scored by the offense. And so you can't really say too much bad because one, you sort of expect something like, like offenses led by freshman quarterbacks are sometimes going to hit ruts in the middle of games. 
exactly. it's just going to happen. Um, it's yeah. I, Coach Elliott called it the roller coaster ride that you go on uh, in his post game after this game. And when that roller coaster ride means that you have some struggles and some sloppiness in the middle part of the game, if you scored 42 as an offensive unit in that game, it's still a good offensive performance. And I guess the elephant in the room is how much of this is ECU and how much of it is Georgia state, but bringing it back to my Louisiana comparison, I'd say Georgia state's played largely at similar games in both games. And there's been some good hallmarks to lean on, like forcing turnovers, getting to the quarterback. I think, I think we're just seeing we saw in the ECU game the big plays and that explosiveness that was a little bit missing in the Louisiana game. Yeah. But I, I think that's more I'm sorry. I think it's about even between whether it's ECU or Georgia State because in the Louisiana game, Quad didn't have that comfort for those deep throws. And in this game he did. You know, so could that have been the two weeks of practice? Could that have been, you know, First game jitters, why it didn't work in the Louisiana game. I don't know, but you know, it's it, to me at least, it didn't even seem like Georgia State got out of themselves. You know, they still did probably what it is that they wanted to do. You know, again, they got dominated in time of possession in the third quarter, which is that's not something to really notate, but it's interesting, I guess. But you know, they still ran the ball really well and they're going to definitely need to find somebody to spell Destin Coates or else that man is going to get tired every single week again. Yeah, he, he is. I had another good game, 22 carries, 115 yards, two touchdowns. So he's on pace for a thousand yards and we're not going to have a full 12 game season. So that in itself is impressive. I also worry a little bit about the wear and tear, um, whether it's Seth Page, getting back to full health and being able to play uh, whether it's Marcus Carroll taking a step up or relying on Tucker Gregg, who also got in the end zone um, Saturday or continuing to use Terrence Dixon the way that they've been using. It's a, it's a play I used to run in a NCAA football with Terrence Dixon, the, the QB slot option that was just killing ECU uh, three carries 78 yards. Um, but the point I was trying to make, uh, is that it felt very much like the same team, which is good. You want to clean more stuff up, but it feels like that they've kind of got how they're going to play down. And it doesn't feel like a team that week to week, it's going to be like, Oh, what Georgia state's going to show up. I mean, you're going to want more execution in the third quarter on offense and all that goes with that. But it didn't feel like a thing where after another week off going into Arkansas state, we have to question what, what Georgia state's going to show up. We we've seen the same Georgia state two games. Uh, it, it's going to be a matter of the execution as to whether it's a winner or a loss, but it's not, it's becoming clearer who this Georgia state team is. And we spent all this time on the offense and obviously for good reason, they played well, but we should definitely turn it around to the stars of the game. I think in both of our opinion, the, the defensive performance. Oh yeah. Um, I mean, where do you even want to start? Do you want to start with the 50 rushing yards allowed? Do you want to start with the three interceptions, all of varying difficulty? Or do you want to start with the fact that ECU quarterback Holton Ehlers is probably still hurting after how many times he was pressured and hit on Saturday? Well, I'll start with uh, the rushing yards because okay, sure. 50 rushing yards on the day, which is already just a, 
colossally low number and a real testament to the job the front seven did for Georgia State. But 31 of those yards were on the fake field goal for a touchdown. And then 10 of those yards were on the final play of the game, basically just a quarterback run for the backup for ECU. So really, even though that sack numbers are a part of this, on the day, just with the offense taking out one quarterback run, they totaled nine rushing yards. And it felt like it too. Like it, it wasn't like they had a big run or there was a lot of yards for loss. No, I mean, even on the fourth down, they ECU went for it on fourth down. I think it was like fourth and two in the third. And I said to myself, okay, if they want to just give up this down, they're going to run the ball. And you think, okay, we're going to run the ball. They didn't even get to the line of scrimmage. Like it wasn't even a particularly close play. Yeah. It, no sticks need to be brought it out to measure. It was just immediately the signal going the other way. Exactly. But, it's a testament. Again, this is another how much of this is Georgia State, how much of ECU. The offensive line play for ECU didn't inspire a lot of hope for their season. It, they struggled a lot. Um, and I, I think that that might be a common thing for them is just that until they get their offensive line sorted out, they're going to struggle to get the run game going. But it also does have to go credit to the front for Georgia State. A lot of guys were rotating in and playing in different spots. You know, Dante Wilson and Akeem Smith were both designated as nose guards, but I, there was at least a few drives where they were both on the field. One of them was lining up not under the center, but off. And, you know, Thomas Gore got one and a half sacks and was also playing in the run game well, and Hardrick Willis and Jeffrey Clark. And it's just a, a, a whole unit there, a lot in the same way that offensive lines usually are unit working together. And, it was just really impressive to see. It was a guy would be blowing up a block and letting another guy come in and get a tackle for loss or just guys making good reads on short passing plays and blowing them up. And the cornerbacks have been exceptional to start the year. Switching to oh, just yeah. the general defense in general, uh, the, the cornerbacks have been great. Quay White and Jalen Jones both had good games. Uh, Jalen Jones had four pass breakups. Uh, Quay had one pass breakup he was credited for, but he also had an interception and one and a half sacks. So he's coming for the uh, season sack lead as the cornerback, which I thought's fun. You know, it's crazy because Ant Lane had a pick six on Saturday and it could be argued that he didn't even play the best defensive back out of anybody on Georgia state on Saturday. You know, I don't know that I've ever seen a Georgia state defensive back have as good a game as quadded. Um, you know, he was everywhere. He got the sack and a half, if you will. Um, he got the interception. He was everywhere in coverage, you know, and he was really good at tackling. And, you know, there were many plays that if he didn't make, it would probably lead to a very explosive ECU play. Um, so definitely hats off to him and hats off to everybody in the secondary. Yeah, I, I don't remember if we talked about this on here for the last game, but the tackling has been really sure, especially in the secondary, uh, which is what I want to highlight here because the tackling and just the recognition, because <laughs> there was one sequence in, I think the second quarter where ECU ran the same like bubble screen look on the opposite sides of the field on back-to-back -back plays. It was the first and the second down. And both times the cornerback whose job was, uh, to blow up the blocker, just blew up the blocker. And the guys up top who, who were 
cover who who were on help just ate up the tackle and the, the screenplay did nothing. And I've definitely seen Georgia State teams of the past struggle with those type of plays. And, you know, the guy who needs to take out the blocker gets sucked up into a block and all that you need on plays like that is a second to get past the guy and you get a lane and you can get a first down. And so the, the recognition slash technique has really just stood out and it feels like a real secondary that you can lean on, which we aren't going to do a lot of Arkansas state talk here because there's another pod between now and that game next Thursday, but the this cornerbacks, especially in just the secondary in general is going to be really important in the next game against Arkansas state who are going to go heavy, heavy, heavy pass. Yeah, no, I mean, that's, that's definitely true. Um, I did want to ask you a question just real fast. Um, obviously no football game is perfect, but what's one thing, you know, before we even look at Arkansas state or anything, what's one thing from Saturday that you would take say we, or the Panthers should probably do better at this and hope that they, you know, kind of take that and move forward with it. Well, I, I think in general, the special teams play has been pretty good. So I, I want to say this without making it seem like I think it's a real problem, but the special teams play was rough at times on Saturday. And so that's really the one thing you can look at. Um, I don't know if you were teeing specifically that up or not, but if if uh, you were, then I took the oop to the alley through me. <laughs> uh, but no, it, we've talked about it. Uh, the fake field goal blocked punt both happened pretty near each other in the game. And then there was a missed field goal that wouldn't ice the game, but it was just added on the score and would have been helpful to have. And it was just, you know, chalk it up to just good special teams work by ECU in one respect, but also just in the moment, it just execution wasn't there. It something weird. I'm not Mr. Diagnose plays and see where everyone's supposed to be, but the alignment on the punt block looked weird watching it back when I knew what was going to happen as I was watching it, I paused it and I was like, well, it looks like there's a lot more guys there. And then right in the middle of the group of people that were overloaded on one side is where the guy who ended up getting the block on the punt came from. Um, and just on a, just like a football situational thing, it was 42 16 at the time of the fake field goal. ECU was going to gain nothing from attempting a long 48 yard field goal. Cause it was still at that point, even if they make it going to be, they need the same number of scores. That field goal doesn't get them anything. And it was a fourth and 14. Uh, so they weren't going to go for it, but I would have, I, I would have expected to be a little bit more ready for the fake field goal there. I don't know. I mean, obviously it's hard to, be ready for the surprise play that the team is running to catch you off guard. I get that there's a certain respect where it's easy to backseat quarterback on that. I don't know. I would have been maybe a little bit less everyone up on the line, totally not in the play, like have kind of like a more safe zone field goal setup. Um, not have everyone just immediately taken by a blocker on the line and not have everywhere to go because it was immediate. Once the guy, hit the edge, Tyler Sneed, the holder, there was no one. And um, it was just one of those things where it, it didn't cost you and neither did the block punt, but you're not necessarily going to be in games where you're up 26 every game. And the special teams hasn't been bad. The special teams hasn't been a negative for this team, basically under coach Elliott. Uh, and so it would just be a thing of 
making sure that stays that way and that this is just a blip in a game that you ended up winning comfortably anyway. Yeah, I agree. Um, I actually didn't tee you up for that. I did have a, a specific thing that I wanted to share in mind, um, and I'll get to that in a second. Uh, but I, I do want to go back to the blocked punt because, <laughs> you know, as a fan of football, I think sometimes you watch a game and you realize that sometimes it's just a simple matter of counting. And when you pause and look at the shift that ECU made right before that um, the Panthers snapped the ball on that punt, even if the, the snap was like a very in line snap and Michael Hayes didn't take an extra couple of steps. Once the long snapper snapped the ball to him, if you just did some counting, there were many more ECU players behind the line of scrimmage and with minimal people in their way than there were Panthers defending and, you know, kind of gunning on the punt. Um, so it definitely made a lot of sense as to why that happened so quickly and the way that it did. Um, so, but I, I, I agree with you. I don't think special teams is a problem. I think they struggled on Saturday, but I don't think they're a problem. Um, I will say that there is, some, I don't want to, I don't want to use the word concerned. I think something worth watching is Georgia state has a little bit of a turnover problem um, on offense. And now, okay, so I want to get something off my chest when I say that. A couple of the interceptions that Quad has thrown are not necessarily his fault. Uh, the pick six was definitely his fault. He or was staring at his receiver. Also, you know, end of the day, didn't really cost you anything. Correct. The one against Correct. Louisiana was kind of an arm punt. Yes, it, it, it effectively was. was basically like punting the next down. And so I, I think they did score on that drive, but it's not really but, one where you're, you're really worried. And then the other one, I think that there's more opportunity cost with that one, because I think it could have been a touchdown or you were right. in a great field position. Right. Um, but um, you're right that it, it's not like alarm bells are ringing that quad is putting the ball in dangerous areas, every play. And for that reason, it's a worry. No. And you know, not every interception is the same. Um, you know, I, I feel like there have been a couple of interceptions that if Georgia State receivers go back on the ball, not even talking about interceptions. Um, but obviously that's not what happens. So you can't really talk like that. Um, I'm a little concerned that the Panthers are putting the ball on the ground too much. Because fumbling is definitely one thing that you can control. Um, and Tucker Gregg fumbled in the game against Louisiana. We didn't see him for the rest of the game. Um, Destin Coates fumbled against ECU and yes, his feet weren't on the ground. So his momentum wasn't really there, but you still got to take care of the ball. And we didn't, I, he did come back in the game, but we didn't see him for a bit after he did fumble. Uh, he fumbled early in the third quarter and we didn't see him again until the fourth quarter. Um, yeah. So I don't, I don't know if that was just a rest thing. Well, Coach mentioned was, a little bit about that because someone asked about his performance and obviously he led with all the good that he had done, but he also mentioned that I think, because he fumbled twice, I believe. He, Maybe, he they he, lost he have, one yeah. that he fumbled, but he did he did put the ball on the ground twice. Yes, that he, is correct. I think from what Coach Elliott said, he came to the the sideline and threw his helmet and wasn't happy. And so I think Coach, when he sees stuff like that, goes full teaching moment and is like, "Don't do that." 
And so that might've been what that was less, less so about the ball security. Cause I don't know that he's super worried about Destin as a whole with ball carriage, but one of those coachable moments where he can be like, if you fumble, you fumble, don't take it out on the sideline. Right. Um, but yeah, neither here nor there. And obviously, you know, you don't want your team to commit turnovers, duh. But just because it hasn't come back to Georgia State in the butt yet, you know, that's just one thing that I want to see cleaned up because you don't know when a team is going to take advantage of every single time you turn over the ball. You don't even want to have to put your defense in that situation to always have to make a play. Or, you know, I believe the white interception was on the drive after the Coates fumble. So you never, you never want to put your defense in an opportunity where they have to do something. But other than that, I mean, yeah, go ahead. The the other thing about those drives, it goes back to me for opportunity cost a little bit, even more so than just the turnover, because three turnovers on the day, the only one that ECU got points off of was the one that the defense directly scored on, on the first play of the game with the pick six. But both of the turnovers happened in plus territory when you're already nursing a big lead. It was 35-13 out of the half, and both of those drives that ended in the quad interception and Coates' fumble that ECU recovered were both in ECU territory with a chance to add on to a big lead. And as we've talked about, the game never really felt in danger, but that's one where you can put it on ice-ice, and you're up by 40 going to the third quarter or into the fourth quarter, and you can take out your starters, and you can get younger guys some reps and you can get rest for other guys and it can be the difference in a game like this where you're in control it can get you that relief of this isn't really a game we need to finish it but we aren't really in doubt and of course there's the chance that you're not playing a team where you're up like this and you have plus territory and it's a really key drive and it's a tight game and you need points getting in the habit of turnovers on those drives, which are really set up well for you to do well. Uh, Those are the opportunities you can't miss. Especially because when this offense is good, this offense is really good and they make scoring look super easy. Oh yeah. No, the first half, I'm sorry, not even the first half, just the first quarter after uh, quad through that pick six. I mean, I don't know that I've ever seen the Georgia state offense look as elite as it did for those 15 minutes or 13 minutes or whatever it was, you know, they moved the ball at will Sam Pickney. I mean, Jesus, hell of a game for him. Destin Coates and Paris Dixon were both explosive on those drives. I mean, it was really fun to watch. And I, I guess uh, short of anything else you have to say, I, I guess that'd be my topper is fun to watch. It felt like a 20 point game. Uh, final result was as warranted and it was a relatively big out of conference win. It's a win over an AAC team and whatever this ECU team is. Um, and I don't think that they are challenging for the top of the AAC to be polite. Um it's still the team with that badge on their Jersey and with that power six mentality. And so it's a good win. It's a good win and it's a win and wins are good. So moving on to some basketball discussion this past week, both the men's and the women's uh, basketball teams released their Sunbelt conference schedule. Still no news about what's going to be happening with out of conference in the uh, continuing COVID pandemic. 
but uh, some interesting stuff to discuss in these conference schedules for sure. Yes, uh, I do not envy the men's basketball team early. Um, winning on the road in the Sun Belt is difficult, and all of their first four games are away from the sports arena. Um, you know, it's a little bit early, so we don't have to dive too deep into this or anything like that. But obviously, anytime you're traveling, um, pandemic or no pandemic, it's difficult to win on the road. And so obviously for the Panthers, it's going to be really important that they kind of have a good out-of-conference schedule and get that confidence going and because they're going to need every inch of their talent and experience you know, to weather that early storm. Yeah, I don't know what it is with the new, you know, since the new commissioners come in and new schedules, uh, early January long road trips for Georgia State. But the tradition is two years running now because it's last year they started with the Texas schools at home. And then a couple weeks later, it was at App, at Coastal, at Arkansas State in five days. And this year it's at App, at Coastal, at Louisiana, at Monroe. The thankful thing here is that it is two separate road trips. It is not the one long three game road trip like that was last season, but yeah, it's obviously only so much fun to talk about, <laughs> you know, the conference schedule's out. Awesome. We know the teams that Georgia state was going to play before the conference schedule gets released. So this is just a, what order they're played in thing, but the two Georgia Southern games are 12 days apart. It is in Atlanta, on January 18th and George state goes to Statesboro on January 30th. Uh, so that will be an interesting turnaround there and no implications for in your day or any big game. It's just a random January, probably Monday night game versus Georgia Southern and senior day is going to be versus coastal Carolina at the end of the year. Um, yeah, it's, I I'm still, hopeful that while we went through a season with football where there's been disruptions. And I mean, even still this week, there's games getting moved around in the Sun Belt because of different things, be it COVID, be it hurricane Delta. Um, but I'm hopeful that by the time we get to the Jordan, the Sun Belt conference slate for basketball, that there's more of a normality and some of it's, a little bit just wanting normal like we all do, but it's also just unlike with football where we can kick games to December for schools that don't have games on those days in basketball. There really isn't a rescheduling function except for adding like a brutal road trip in the middle of the year for a team. If it's like, sorry, you got to go add Arkansas state in the middle of your trip to Louisiana because the game got canceled earlier. So Supposing all of this goes through as normal, that will be nice to avoid, mostly because the, the schedule can't really accommodate makeup games. Yeah, it's much easier with football. So if that happens with basketball, I mean, good freaking luck. Yeah, it's not like every year in the last since Georgia State's been in the Sun Belt, basically, most seasons aren't down to the wire and come down to tiebreakers. It's not like if a team doesn't play a game that that would come down to any major factor in seeding or anything. No chance. <laughs> so we'll see with the official announcement of out of conference, um, presumably coming soon. It is nice to, to feel now that we're in the swing of football, 
that basketball isn't that far behind. It's not. No, I mean, if you really think about it, Georgia State football has got, uh, well, I guess the rest of their season. I want to say that. I'll start that over. Uh, it's not. It's not that far away. Um, you know, by the time Georgia State football is kind of winding their season down in about a month or month and a half ish, it's going to be basketball time. So let's go Panthers. I hope. Uh, I hope there's some good things on the horizon for what they do with the out of conference schedule. Um, there's not much movement that needs to happen, but um, there were some scheduled dates before the like official NCAA season start so those games probably get moved to a different or something i'm not sure i will say should be good uh the last thing just we've talked about the championship moving to pensacola for the sunbelt basketball rather than being in new orleans r.i.p like front arena no moment of silence <laughs> but no, we're going to talk over that moment of silence the, the other thing yeah moving on from the, the fake moment of silence it's an earlier time it is not selection sunday and i i believe that that has allowed the sunbelt to sort of flatten the schedule and spread out the games there's not a game in march which usually there's there's at least one final game at the end of march and now the the regular season ends February 27th and then the basketball tournament starts on the 5th of March. And I don't know. I, I mean, for seeding purposes, it's nicer for Georgia state to not be locked into a seed if they're in the championship game, because with it being on actual selection Sunday, it's meant that Georgia state's basically locked in and can't do anything with the seed. And so that meant if they're playing a team who is a lower seed that that might affect them being maybe a 15 instead of a, 13 or 14 if they deserve it but also just pensacola i like pensacola um oh that sounds really random but never been looking for i'm not a huge fan of florida if i can be honest and pensacola was always fine so pensacola and orlando are probably about as much florida as i can handle so yeah i got all of my value out of new orleans the what six years that i went like i i'm good (laughs) let's do let's go do something else <laughs> well, also, it's just nice to get out of Lakefront Arena. I'm sorry, but it's yes again. Oof. Not rest in peace. Yeah, I, I'm sure it's a. I'm sure it's a fine place to watch basketball if there's more than you know 35 people there, and you don't have to climb up 800 ramps, and you feel like you're in the brutalist hell. You're already going of, down so many qualifiers. I mean. <laughs> If this and this and this and this, I I, I am a uh, a snob and uh, just a constant raider of places I go, and I don't think I'll go to a worse basketball arena than that. Sorry to say. I don't know. Uh, Sporting venue arena is not great. I've been to Tropicana. At at least the sports arena has atmosphere. That's all I'm going to say. Hold on, both of you are talking at the same time. Oh. At least the sports arena has atmosphere. It might be a little high school gym with pullout bleachers, but it gets loud and you can't get loud when there's 35 people in their mags. They didn't want to pay nine bucks for some chicken tenders. Anyway, never have to go there again. Thank God. Okay, so before we get you guys out of here this week, we do have a couple of listener questions we wanted to get to. Uh, First up, Ben wants to know our uniform choices for the first row game, whether that's going to be Stormtrooper, the all white uniforms or something else. I like variety in uniforms. I don't necessarily like the every time you wear the same thing. So just for the sake of something I don't think we've worn 
maybe ever since I think once. I think against Penn State in the first year, Georgia State wore blue helmets, white pants, blue pants. Um, bring it back. I have a sneaking suspicion it's going to be blue helmet, white jersey, white pants, because that's what it's been basically every road game the last several seasons. But blue, white, blue, make it happen. Well, I feel cheated. I was going to say blue, white, blue. I really like the blue helmets. Um, have they ever done blue, blue, white? I yes. don't think so. I don't think they would do that on the road, but no, no they would um, unless Arkansas State was like we're wearing white, which I guess yeah, is which, an option. They could be doing a white out. We don't know. I mean, that's what Tech is yeah. doing every week, right? Yeah. Um. Yeah, blue, 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 white has happened. Um, at least okay. Western Michigan in 2018, it happened. <laughs> Let's not recreate that game. Yeah. <laughs> let's not recreate either of those games <laughs> but to the specific example ben gave if it was stormtrooper i'd be cool night game that'll pop on tv which is yeah. big espn big espn yeah. versus arkansas state yeah. one of the last times for sure that they'll get to take advantage of the late start that some of the power conferences have gotten to get those better Lots on college football, so big, big audience look pretty. Yeah, they could go all white. I'm feeling it. I'm definitely down for the stormtrooper. Whatever you want, just win, just win. Except Ooh. don't wear those awful helmets where it's Panthers on one side and the Panther head on the other. Don't do that. Those got better reviews than awful. There were more they, people. They, they won, so that. they're fine. But I hate them. All right. No, everyone's got an opinion. You're allowed. I did no, see a lot of love for it online. Yeah, I I will say that I was not a fan when they initially released them. Um, but I did see what Brady is referring to, and they did get a lot of love. So if the people like it and I'm wrong, then I I'll be wrong. Let us know. What do you like about like or dislike these the new two-sided helmet get the georgia state opinion not just like clinton yates who's an espn and writer type guy who really liked them he had a tweet about it where he was very emphatic in how much he liked the uniforms clinton yates doesn't miss when it comes to uniforms let me tell you and then our second question is from carlos who wants to know who do you think the impact players on the defense are and also the offense well, this is easy. It's just everybody, right? <laughs> um, I'll, I'll, <laughs> right. Uh, I will go with uh, two guys that I think so far this year have definitely caught my attention in terms of impact plays. Obviously, we've given Quay White some love, so I don't want to, you know, rehash what we spoke about earlier today. Um, but I think Dante Wilson is having a phenomenal season. Um, he has been exactly what Georgia state needed up front on the defensive line. Um, even if he's not getting sacks, he's being incredibly disruptive, taking those double teams and even beating those blockers, um, forcing quarterbacks out of their comfort zone. And so that, I mean, he's exactly why Ehlers and Levi Lewis had such a little time to throw, you know, the two games that Georgia state has played. So Offense. Um, so far, my offensive impact player probably would be Destin Coates. Um, you know, I think 
especially for me, I think I was a little hesitant to just say that Georgia State will replicate how effective they were running the ball um, like they did last year. You know, Trey Barnett was gone. They've had some continuity on the offensive line, but I still think the runner themselves also matters. I mean, Destin Coates has picked up right where Trey left off. So that's there's a big reason why Georgia State has rushed for over 200 yards in both of the game. Yeah, Number 17 I, is a big factor there. Yeah, no, no question about that. I guess the thing is, is I think that everyone across the board, like there is just better performance and the defense is really locked in and that's encouraging to see. And so that is part of it, that the, that there is general improvement. But I think Ant Lane has just been an injection of something Georgia State hasn't had. And so when you're talking about impact player, I think he has had the most impact as what he has brought to the defense that wasn't there before. I mean, you saw with the interception for touchdown this past game, the tackle for loss against Louisiana, which I've never seen a Georgia State safety make a play like he did where he just read it immediately and just burst into the backfield. And he's just a freshman. He's definitely by no means a finished product. So I'm excited to see what the finished product is, but I just think as far as what this defense now has that it didn't before, I think that is what I would think is the most impactful player. And then on offense, I'll just stick with the boring Chimarius Gilmore slash Malik Sumter. Just the, the the leaders in the middle of that offensive line because that's the reason why everything is as normal and why Quad has a lot of time to sit back and make these throws and why there's running lanes galore. And I think as with any offense, the offensive line sets the pace, dictates how things are going to go, and those two collectively lead that unit for me. Good answers. I mean, the offensive line play, I don't know that I've... I think there was like one sack that's happened all year. Uh, well, I didn't even get sacked on Saturday, but one of the sacks against Louisiana where it was just like, all right, guys, you got to pick them up. But other than that, the line has been phenomenal. So, All right. So thank you, Ben and Carlos, for questions. It's always fun for us to talk about stuff you guys want to hear. But before we uh, get you guys out of here, we do want to say that instead of a game day piece coverage and all that, this week since there's not going to be a game you can expect a fireside chat on the state of sunbelt football from our very own david and brady coming out sometime this weekend but other than that that's all we got for this week and we will catch you next time thank you very much for listening the thursday night podcast is a production of thursdaynight.com the independent source of choice for all things georgia state sports this podcast and all included sounds are exclusive property of and copyright 2019 jordan crawford enterprises llc on behalf of thursdaynight.com unless otherwise specified the podcast is produced by programming director brady weiler and technical director jordan crawford with assistance from co-hosts taylor dynan and david salmon you can find the podcast on soundcloud as well as podcast aggregators like spotify google play and apple podcast to submit questions and comments or to request information on advertising and corporate partnerships, contact the show on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram as at Thursday Night or via email at thursdaynight at gmail.com. 